Welcome back to The Emily Show this week. I am touching on a topic that a lot have asked me about and is a little bit outside of what I normally cover. And we're going to talk about why I am choosing to cover this story as we get into just into it. But today we are talking about Ruby Frankie and Eight Passengers. There is a lot to this story. I am sure whether you are a YouTube person or not, you have now heard about this. You might have heard the word like, you know, family vlog channel for the first time ever in your life talking about this story. But since the arrest of a 2 million subscriber plus YouTube mom vlogger, um, the internet has gone absolutely wild. So we are going to talk about what the probable cause affidavits say, what the law is here, what the process is happening, you know, what the process is next in this criminal prosecution, what we can expect to see along the way. This is a topic I probably won't cover in live stream much. I will link resources down below. Um, not just things I mentioned that I won't play. There's a 911 tape that's been made public. I'm not going to play it in this podcast. I will talk about it. I will put that down below. There are amazing content creators who have covered this particular channel for years, raising questions about the treatment of the children. I'm not going to get into all of that today, but I will link those down below so that you can choose how much of this story you want to get into. My goal for today is to give you an understanding of this story without going into every detail of the allegations here because they are very difficult allegations of child abuse. And I want you to be able to understand the legal that we're getting into without having to get into every single detail because it's not going to change what happened and what didn't. But hopefully it allows you to engage with this story on a level that you are comfortable with. It is a very difficult case to parse. And with that, I am very thankful that we do have our podcast sponsors that ride with me even when we have difficult topics because, well, they book out really far in advance and then they don't really get a choice in topics. So I appreciate that even when we have um, sensitive and difficult topics that are the nature of today's, well, like the nature of today's podcast episode. So hopefully this will clear up some of your questions make clear what the charges are here, clear up what the, you know, what the questions might be about what's going to happen next, and then how cases with young child victims tend to unfold. With that, I need to thank our first sponsor, Green Chef. Green Chef is the number one meal kit for clean eating with recipes that help support your wellness goals without skimping on the flavor. Get 60% off plus free shipping with code EMILYBAKER60 at greenchef.com slash emilybaker60. Thank you again to our sponsors for allowing us to cover difficult topics like today's because, well, some days we need to cover the harder cases. And with that, let's get into it. Welcome to The Emily Show. I'm Emily D. Baker, the internet's go-to legal analyst and big fan of the cursey words. I've been a licensed attorney for over 17 years. I'm a former prosecutor, and I break down the legal side of pop culture and entertainment stories we can't stop talking about. We should just get into it. Let's go. For those of you not familiar with this case, I'm going to give just a quick overview before we get like all the way into it. So Ruby Frankie 
was arrested at the end of August with her podcast co-host and business partner, Jody Hildebrand. They had a YouTube channel together. All of these YouTube channels are now off of the platform. YouTube gave a statement to NBC a few days ago saying that all of the all of the channels um, had been taken down, connected to Ruby Frankie and Jody Hildebrand, though the eight passengers YouTube channel hadn't been active since 2020. And there had been a lot of um, conversations surrounding this channel and the treatment of the children back in 2020 and before. So with this arrest, it brought all of those questions back to the forefront. We're going to be talking about that today. But this all came to light because one of the eight passengers, six children, the Ruby Frankie, her husband, Kevin Frankie, and then the six children, one of the six children, her 12-year-old son, escaped from Jody Hildebrand's house and ran to a neighbor's house asking for help. The police were called and this arrest followed shortly thereafter. So with this case, the courage and um, I, I don't know what other word to give it other than it, tremendous courage, uh, grit, and will to survive of this 12-year-old um, is, I think, why this case is now at the point where there is an arrest. Because as we get into the facts of this case and we get into some of the surrounding facts, police had been called out to uh, Ruby Frankie to check on the children multiple times in the past. So there had been checks in the past, but the 12-year-old who escaped alerted a neighbor and then the neighbor asked for the neighbor to call the police. The neighbor called police, police arrived, an ambulance arrived, took the 12-year-old and then a 10-year-old that was recovered from Jody Hildebrand's house to the hospital and treated them. All of the other children that are minors are now in uh, the care and custody of children services. That is what brought this case forward to law enforcement with an arrest in this way, though law enforcement had been called out about um, the treatment of these children in the past. And with surviving victims, I think it's really important to talk about the courage that it takes and also talk about the privacy that these kids are going to need in dealing with what is going to clearly be a very public court process. Ruby Frankie and Jody Hildebrand, the defendants in this case, were in court on Friday, September 8th for a bail bond hearing. And though that was held by WebEx, it took them over 40 minutes to get the hearing started because the WebEx kept crashing because so many people were trying to get into the WebEx meeting to see what happened in this bail bond hearing. So thousands of people trying to get into this hearing. This is going to be a very public case with very young victims. And keeping the identity of the victims uh, secure is going to be different in a case like this because they're identified by initials. But this was a family vlogging channel. So these children and Ruby Frankie were on the internet quite a lot in videos. So those who watched these videos are going to easily be able to identify who the children are. But even though their identities are known, there is still going to need to be quite a lot of um, compassion and care for these victims. And that's going to extend to how people feel about whether or not this case should go to trial. You know, whether there should be offered a plea bargain in this case. It's very early on to talk about things like that, but we're going to talk about it because I have a feeling that the internet is going to have strong thoughts about whether there should be a plea bargain or not. However, the wellness of 
minor victims um, in having to go through the court process is a huge consideration here. Of course, the wellness of victims is always a consideration in court cases. That consideration is different when we are talking about children and young children. 12 and 10 are the children that we're talking about here. So with all of that, we're going to get into a little bit more of what surrounded this, a little bit more of the background. If I repeat myself multiple times today, I apologize. It it really is a difficult topic that just, just makes me mad. Truly, child abuse cases are horrific. Um, they're always horrific. I don't often talk about them. I thought that there was um, some need for our audience to have a place to talk about this case without getting into every single detail of the case, because I know that can be tremendously difficult to engage with. Uh, news and media coverage of cases with these allegations without getting into all of the details of a case. And that is very much what I'm hoping to do here today with y'all on The Emily Show. So when Ruby Frankie and Kevin Frankie started the Eight Passengers YouTube channel in 2015, the channel was active with over 2 million subscribers up until 2020. There at that time was some controversy surrounding the channel. I'm going to link a video down below by Swoop, um, who did an incredible kind of background into the problems with the Eight Passengers channel before the arrest, before any of this broke. And that will be linked down below if you want more of the background of the channel. But there was an incident um, covered in one of the videos where a six-year-old had forgotten to take a lunch to kindergarten and the teacher called and was asking either the mother to bring lunch or to provide lunch. And the mother was saying, no, this is their natural punishment. This is the recourse. They are hungry at school because they forgot their lunch. And the internet was like, this is a six-year-old. Like, we, we'll just figure it out and let your kid have lunch. Um, and it seemed that this was a regular theme that kids would lose the quote-unquote privilege of eating if they misbehaved, which is a whole part of this, among other types of punishment that the internet was like, what is going on here? Um, you, you took your, you know, oldest son and wouldn't let him have a bedroom as punishment for you know, a year at the time, et cetera. So they stopped uploading on that channel in 2020. It seems that after that time that the defendants, Ruby and Jody, started doing their work together in this like strange parent coaching life empowerment space and had a YouTube channel, a podcast, a private Facebook group where they were selling like six-week coaching courses to teach people how to parent, essentially. Since this arrest, the husband, who has not been arrested and charged, the husband's lawyer gave a statement to Good Morning America and numerous other outlets saying that Kevin is, quote, a very gentle guy. No one's ever made allegations that he's ever physically abused those kids or anyone else. He just wants to do what's best for the kids and get them back, get them under his tutelage, his fathership, and protect them end quote. So Kevin Frankie already has an attorney. The attorney is already making statements to the media that Kevin wants the kids in his custody. 
The kids are not in his custody at this time. And it seemed that he and Ruby were living separately when this happened. And Ruby and Jody were living together. And the kids were recovered from Jody Hildebrand's home. After the arrest, the oldest daughter spoke out on social media and on Instagram shared, quote, Hi all, today has been a big day. Me and my family are so glad justice is being served. We've been trying to tell the police and CPS for years about this and so glad they finally decided to step up. And again, the reason that police are involved in this is because of the 12-year-old's escape from Jody Hildebrand's house and going to a neighbor and the neighbor immediately calling police and law enforcement getting involved at that time. We're going to talk a little bit about the past because the oldest daughter, Sherry Frankie, has been active in trying to get something done and seeming to try to get protection for her younger siblings. Police reports that have been reviewed by numerous media outlets and reported on indicate that as recently as September 2022, Sherry Frankie had contacted law enforcement because her younger siblings were left alone for five days at the Frankie home while Ruby was visiting a friend elsewhere in Utah and the dad was not there. So it seems that Sherry Frankie has been trying to get law enforcement to take action in this case for a number of years and that police actually have been out numerous times. Whatever ended up happening with the kids being left home, young children being left home for five days, I don't know. I hope that during the course of this prosecution, we find out. And though charges were brought at the end of August, it doesn't mean those are the only charges. Some of the minor children have not been interviewed yet. And as they are interviewed, more charges can be brought. This might just be the beginning of what we see. Before we get into Ruby Frankie, charging documents, and then Jody Hildebrand's charging documents, we need to take a break for our sponsor. Thank you to our sponsor, Jenny Kane. It is time for cozy season because Jenny Kane is really known for their throws and pillows. Everything from linen to super soft cashmere, their handcrafted textiles are versatile, durable, and perfect for a sofa update or a bedroom refresh. The farmhouse throw is luxuriously plushy and lightweight, which makes it perfect because it doesn't like pull your feet down. I do, Am I the only one that hates that when like the blanket's just too heavy and it pulls on the top of your feet? Maybe it's just me. You let me know. And if you're ready to get your house smelling divine, their award-winning candles are where it's at. Jenny Kane has pieces starting at just $25. So head over there to find your new favorite forever pieces at jennykane.com slash home. Emily Show listeners get 15% off your first order when you use code Lawnard. That's 15% off your first order when you use code Lawnard at checkout. J-E-N-N-I-K-A-Y-N-E.com slash home. All right, y'all, let's get back into this week's episode. What we have pulled up on the screen for those of you that watch on YouTube is the charging document, the information for Ruby Frankie. Ruby Frankie is charged with six counts. Each count carries 15 years in custody, though Utah might have some rules about how those stack. Um, we will talk about potential maximum sentences 
down the road because I think after seeing the charges and the fact that several children hadn't been interviewed, I don't know if we're at the end of the charges. That would be my, I, I'm not sure we're at the end of the charges. So the charging document that we are looking at has six charges. The six charges cover two separate victims, child RF and child EF. Each charge is a child abuse charge, but the child abuse charges deal with different types of abuse. So that is why we are seeing several different charges. Each charge carries up to 15 years in custody. With that, we have count one, two, and three going to child RF. Count one covers the um, intentional infliction of physical injury. Count two covers the intentional infliction of malnutrition. Count three covers the um, intentional infliction of physical injuries or any conduct that could result in severe emotional harm, developmental delay, intellectual disability, or severe impairment. So other types of harms. So physical, malnutrition, and then really what is the emotional abuse that can cause severe emotional harm. All three of these counts involve not just the intentional infliction, but also um, permitting another to inflict a serious physical injury. So each of these charges to both of the victims are whether or not the charge defendant in this information, it's Ruby Frankie, impose these things themselves, or whether this Ruby Frankie being the parent allowed for this to happen under the direction or hand of a third party. So it's not just alleging that Ruby Frankie abused children, her children in this way, but it's either or, either did this or permitted another to do this. So it covers both circumstances. Count four, five, and six go to the second child victim, EF. Count four goes to the um, malnutrition part. Count five goes to serious physical injury that results in severe emotional harm. And count six goes to serious physical injury includes a combination or of two or more physical injuries inflicted by the same person, either at the same time or on different occasions. So this is, um, count six is a different type of aggravated child abuse than we see alleged in counts one, two, and three. More of a count encompassing a potential pattern of behavior, multiple injuries. This can be charged when you see um, older injuries or when medical exams show older injuries or if the victim relays that this happened, you know, today and several days ago or what have you. So as to Ruby Frankie, all of these charges encompass, again, whether or not Ruby Frankie did these or whether Ruby Frankie being the person in charge of the child, having custody of the child, permitted this to happen under somebody else's care. We're going to go to the probable cause affidavit. I will say the probable cause affidavit is not tremendously graphic, and we are going to talk about what the police found when, again, the victim escaped, went to, when victim one escaped, 
went to the neighbor's house and 911 was called. We will talk about what's in that 911 call. I'm not going to play the audio of it. I will link it down below if you want to go listen to the audio of that call. Um, it's hard. It's a hard call. But we'll talk about that in a few minutes. This is the probable cause affidavit for Ruby Frankie from August 30th, 2023. Um, this is for the charge and arrest of the defendant. On August 30th, 2023, Ruby Frankie was placed under arrest for the following. One, child abuse, RF, 12-year-old male victim, climbed out a window of the residence belonging to Jody Hildebrand and ran to a neighbor's home. RF knocked on the door requesting food and water. The neighbor, and what we know from the 911 tape, is that the child also requested the neighbor call the police. The neighbor observed duct tape on the child's ankles and wrist and contacted law enforcement. Law enforcement observed wounds and malnourishment, um, determined them to be severe, and he was transported to the St. George Regional Hospital. RF was placed on a medical hold due to injuries and malnourishment. Ruby Frankie was seen on a YouTube video filmed in Jody Hildebrand's downstairs, which was posted two days ago. This observation adds to Miss Frankie, the mother of RF, being present in the home and having knowledge of the abuse, malnourishment, and neglect. Miss Frankie requested a lawyer and did not speak with us. With this information, we believe that Miss Frankie had knowledge of malnourishment, abuse, and neglect. This charge will be enhanced to a second-degree felony. I ask that Miss Frankie not be allowed bail due to the severity of the injuries of her two children located in the home and the fact that DCFS has taken four of Miss Frankie's children into their custody. I have yet to speak with two of them. On that part of the affidavit, there is a lot of information. One, that the 12-year-old climbed out of a window, went to the neighbor, asked for the police to be called, asked for water, asked for food, asked for help, and was in a condition where the neighbor was clearly like the police need to be called, this child escaped, and needs help. Police clearly were alerted to who Ruby Frankie was. She's already in their system if police have been called out for checks and went to YouTube and saw that Ruby Frankie and Hildebrand had posted in Hildebrand's house together. How they determined it was Hildebrand's house, I'm not sure. I haven't seen the video and the YouTube channels are now down, but determined that they were together where the children were located. The 10-year-old female victim we're going to talk about in a minute from probable cause, but determined that Ruby Frankie within the last two days was there. So they determined that the condition of the children is not something that just happened in the last two days and that Ruby Frankie would have known that this was the condition of the children. And that is part of why the charging reads the way that it does, where that it's not just that Ruby Frankie did these things herself, but that Ruby Frankie also, um, it's that and or, or being the parent and custodian of the children allowed this to happen with someone else because the children were recovered from someone else's home. Two of the children had not been interviewed at the time of the arrest, which is why I said there could be more charges here because those children will be interviewed by hopefully specialty teams. They will be likely given medical um, evaluations to see what assistance they need. But in those checks, they will also check for injuries. They will check for if there's reports of uh, broken bones and things like that to see 
the age of injuries and, and such. This encompasses four of the six children. The other two are no longer minors. They are, they are over the age of 18. So that is why the four children are the focus here. The second part talks about the 10-year-old female victim, so victim EF or victim two. Victim EF was found at Jody Hildebrand's residence after RF made contact with police. EF was found to be malnourished and initially refused medical. After approximately four hours, EF agreed. Jody Hildebrand was found to be in the direct care of EF. EF was determined to be malnourished. I don't know why this probable cause affidavit switches from using initials to full name, but it does. EF was determined to be malnourished by the medical professional team arriving at St. George Hospital. Ruby Frankie was seen on a YouTube video filmed at Jody Hildebrand's downstairs, which was posted two days ago. This observation adds to Miss Frankie, the mother of EF, being present in the home and having the knowledge of the abuse, malnourishment, and neglect. With this information and the belief that Miss Frankie had knowledge of the malnourishment, abuse, and neglect, this charge will be enhanced to a second-degree felony. I ask that Miss Frankie not be allowed to be able to do the severity, severity of the injuries. So when we talk about the YouTube video and the probable cause affidavit indicates that law enforcement was with this 10-year-old for four hours, they probably recognized the residents because I imagine they checked the entire residence for other children and were there for quite a period of time and then recognized the residents when they saw it. After that, they would have had probable cause to go into the house because the 12-year-old uh, victim, RF, told law enforcement that there were other children back at Hildebrand's residence, and so they would have had uh, urgent probable cause to go in and check on the welfare and safety of those other children, and then could have recognized it from there. Emily, keep reading. Also, um, the thing I meant to talk about and then didn't talk about is that at some point, Ruby Frankie and law enforcement had an interaction with each other. It seems from reports online from the police conversations that she had showed up at the hospital and police were like, we would, we would very much like to talk to you. And she was like, I have a lawyer. I imagine that she has not been interviewed at all. Um, defense attorneys will say, don't ever speak to the police. The police in this drew a negative inference from that for sure. Can that happen at trial? No. But in this probable cause, they made very clear to note that uh, Frankie requested a lawyer and did not speak with us. I would like to know more about the circumstances surrounding that, because you would think if your children were taken to the hospital by ambulance, you would at least want to know that question and would ask that instead of saying, uh, I'm not talking to you. But we'll see. With that, we are going to go to the details of the 911 call before we move on to the probable cause affidavit and the charges for the co-defendant. Even though these cases are filed separately, the defense attorneys move to have them be heard by the same judge. They're being heard on the same day. So even though they're not co-defendants and that the charging document doesn't say state of Utah versus, you know, Ruby Frankie and Jody Hildebrand, they are both the same types of charges resulting from the same victims, etc. So KSL TV posted a transcript of the 911 call. I will link that down below. From the 911 call, you um, hear the neighbor telling the dispatcher that a 12-year-old boy showed up at my front door asking for help. He said he came from a neighbor's house. We know there's been problems at this neighbor's house. He's 
emaciated. He's got taper on his legs. He's hungry. He's thirsty. And the neighbor said, he asked us to call police. He's very afraid. They talk to him, tell him his name. They ask if there's others at the house. And he says, yes, there's others at the house, but there's nothing bad happening with them. He tells them what house he came from. The houses are pretty far away. He said it's over a block to get between the houses. So the neighbor can't see the house that um, the victim had come out of because the houses are pretty set apart. If you listen to the audio, and I will attach that down below, if you listen to the audio, you will hear the caller get um, very emotional and upset as he's talking about the condition of um, victim RF here with the tape, with sores, and with him being malnourished. And it's, you can hear the reporting caller's distress. He also talks about the fact that he came in his socks and it was obvious that he had escaped. You then can hear on the 911 call uh, the 12-year-old saying that he doesn't know where his mom is, but his dad doesn't live at the location where he escaped from and that the dad doesn't live around that area. The 12-year-old shares with the caller that his mom is Ruby Frankie and spells out the name and says, um, I'm not sure like where she lives. And the the caller's saying he's not sure where she lives. And at that time, you start seeing law enforcement start showing up and the ambulance showing up. And then it goes from there. The hardest part for me of this 911 call is when he's talking about his other siblings, that they are at, that there are other siblings at Jody Hildebrand's house. And he says that everything's fine with them, but that what's happened to him is his fault. You can hear him saying that to the caller. You can hear that the caller is emotional about it. And you can hear this 12 year old saying, but what happened to me is my fault after escaping from a home in this. It is absolutely gut-wrenching. I don't know if the home where he responded or where he ran to to ask for help has a ring doorbell. We, the internet now has the um, communication between law enforcement that showed up. There will be body cam footage, et cetera, of the condition that they found these children in. This is all stuff that will be used when it goes to trial. Stuff that will be used outside of the testimony of these victims, right? The, the observations of law enforcement, the observations of this calling party, any video from a ring doorbell, video from body camera footage, the, the conversation on the 911 call, especially when it comes to the malnourishment, the professionals at the hospital, there's a lot of things that the, that others can testify to about the condition of these children that doesn't come from them testifying. Earlier, I had talked about the fact that if, if this case does um, eventually down the road end up with a plea deal, and I, this is not a channel I watch on YouTube, I know nothing about Ruby Frankie and her personality and whether she is someone who would be inclined to fight this or inclined not to fight this, but not having children have to testify is a huge benefit of a plea deal. And if that's the way this case goes down the road, I'm not going to um, 
really be upset about it because it spares the kids from having to testify. If this does go to trial, they will have to testify in some way. But there are lots of other things that will come in as evidence. This 911 call, any any video footage again from the house, the medical professionals' opinions, what the medical professionals observed and saw, because when it comes to especially the malnourishment claims, those are things that medical professionals can talk about the observations, and this is not a family based on the short amount of time I have engaged in uh, their YouTube videos and clips of YouTube videos that have surfaced. This does not seem a circumstance where the children were not eating because they could not eat, because they did not have access to food, because the family did not have access to food. That absolutely does not seem to be the case in this situation, especially based on other YouTube videos where this mother is withholding food as a punishment or telling kids that it is a privilege they lost. Um, eating is a basic human need, not a quote-unquote privilege, and trying to take away meals to punish children is a very different circumstances that children that have food insecurity and don't have access to food. And that doesn't seem to be the circumstance here. So with that information from the 911 call, I need to take a break for our sponsors who are so gracious. Then we will get back into the charging documents from the other defendant. Thank you to our sponsor, Policy Genius. Policy Genius knows how valuable your time is. That's why their technology makes it easier to compare life insurance quotes from America's top life insurance companies. And they don't work for the insurance companies. So you know that there's no incentive there for them to recommend one company over another. Their job is to find the best policy for you. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $292 per year for a million dollars of coverage. Some options offer same day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. Policy Genius simplifies the process of getting life insurance so you can protect the people that you love. It's no wonder that they have thousands of five star reviews on Google and Trustpilot. And look, it's one of the adulting things that isn't fun to do. But once you get your life insurance taken care of, it is going to make you feel a lot better. And you're not going to have to struggle to get it done. Your loved ones deserve a financial safety net and you deserve a smarter way to find it and buy it. Head to policygenius.com slash lawnard or click the link in the description to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you can save. That's policygenius.com slash lawnard. Let's get back to today's episode. I am pulling up the charging document from Jody Hildebrandt. This is a six-count charging document from August 30th, 2023. And this information has three charges for victim RF and three charges for victim EF. And these essentially mirror the charges from Frankie's information. Count one being the aggravated child abuse dealing with serious physical injury. Count two being child abuse that deals with malnutrition. Count three being the aggravated child abuse that deals with physical injury that results in severe emotional harm, developmental delay, etc. Count four 
five and six going to the victim, the 10-year-old EF, count one being malnutrition, count two being serious physical injury that results in severe emotional harm, and count six, sorry, I was saying, I think I was saying one, two, and three, but four, five, and now six, six being um, serious physical injury that includes a combination of two or more physical injuries. So that is multiple or a pattern of behavior on either the same or different occasions. And these are all um, charged in the same way as, as the other uh, information for Ruby. Pulling up the Jody Hildebrand probable cause affidavit, it is the same probable cause affidavit, but for it doesn't talk a, as much about YouTube. So we're going to go through this probable cause affidavit because it gives a little bit more information about the room. Upon arrival, law enforcement observed wounds and malnourishment of RF to be severe. RF was transported to St. George Regional Hospital. Jody Hildebrand was found to be in direct care of RF, and he was staying at her home. In Jody Hildebrand's bathroom, I located gauze, which had been used. This observation adds to Ms. Hildebrand's knowledge of the abuse in the home. Ms. Hildebrand requested a lawyer and did not speak with us. Once given her charges, Hildebrand informed me EF and RF should never be allowed around any other kids. With this information and belief that Ms. Hildebrand had knowledge of malnourishment, abuse, and neglect, this charge will be enhanced to a second-degree felony. I ask that Ms. Hildebrand not be allowed bail due to the severity of the injuries. Uh, DCFS has taken four of Ms. Frankie's children in their custody, and I have yet to speak with two of them. As to victim two, this talks about uh, victim EF, the 10-year-old that was found at the residence after RF made contact with police, that EF was found to be malnourished, and it took four hours for EF to agree to medical treatment. Uh, paramedics transported EF to the hospital where medical professionals determined her to be malnourished. Hildebrand was found to be in direct care of EF. And then it said, once given her charges, Hildebrand informed me that EF and RF should never be allowed around any other kids. A very interesting statement about the children. The rage is, is sometimes hard to talk through in cases like this, because the statements made to law enforcement by Hildebrand don't seem to be statements of care and concern for the children. But Emily, why would you think that they would be given the nature of these charges? Right? Care and concern for the children is not, uh, is not what we're seeing in this case. This is going to be a difficult case to walk through. We are going to go through it procedurally um, step by step. I'm not going to get much more into the details of the case. More details are available online if you are interested in more information about what police found when they searched the house, about the appalling and horrific condition of these children when they were made contact with law enforcement, about the prior contacts with law enforcement and DCFS. It really is staggering how long people have been raising concerns about these children and how little had been done, even when it's online and people are like, look, this is a problem. But I think law enforcement can get jaded, especially when it comes to um, complaints about the same thing from tons of people. And if 
you know, Ruby Frankie was telling them, look, I'm a YouTuber. People are just mad. They're just going to say that. You could say a law enforcement would be like, okay, this is just, this is just the thing. When other children from the family are calling with concern, I would very much hope it's treated differently. When their eldest daughter is calling law enforcement with concern, I would hope it would have been treated differently, but that was over a year ago in September of 2022. And it took a year later and for victim RF to run to the neighbors in a horrible condition for law enforcement to make these arrests. I do not know what will happen with the father. We will have to wait and see whether the father knew about any of this, how long they'd been living apart, where he had been staying, if the children had communicated anything to him, because those charges um, allow for, if you have the care and custody of a child, and I haven't seen anywhere that the Frankies are divorced and that the mother has sole custody of these children, so the father still has custody of these children, um, if he was still a custodial adult, then did he know what was going on and allow it to happen? So there are questions there too, questions about if any charges will come up with regard to the other two children that at the time of these charges had not yet been interviewed by law enforcement. There is a hearing scheduled for September 21st. However, on Friday, September 8th, the defense attorneys filed, both defense attorneys filed a motion for an expedited bail hearing, which they said they were going to do. So the defense attorneys, after the hearing on Friday, where bail and bond were denied for both defendants, they have asked for a full and expedited bond hearing. That will likely also be by WebEx. I don't know if it will be uh, streamed. If it is streamed, I will not be streaming it. Um, I may break down a little bit of what happens and the result, but what I will remind you about bail and bond hearings when they go to a full evidentiary hearing, a lot more facts will come out about the case, generally through the testimony of law enforcement officers. We saw this in the Josh Duggar case. We saw this in uh, more recently the Corey Richens case, where you get quite a lot of information about the uh, investigation about and from the the lead investigating officer about what's happening. So if there is a full detention hearing, we are going to see testimony from law enforcement with a lot more details coming out about this case. So just know that if you want to watch the want to watch it, it is going to entail a lot more detail about very very difficult charges. That will happen um, sometime soon. What was noted in the defense attorney's motion for Jody Hildebrand was that since being incarcerated in this case, she has experienced a life-threatening medical issue resulting in her hospitalization, hospitalization for several days, and that due to a judicial conference, the September 14th date is vacated. So they're asking for a special setting before September 21st, not the September 14th date, to bring both Jody Hildebrandt and Ruby Frankie in for that detention hearing. In Ruby Frankie's request for a expedited a detention hearing or an expedited, expedited bond hearing, um, they are referring to Jody Hildebrandt as co-defendant 
and they have requested that those hearings be done at the same time. So even though they are not charged together on one charging document, they have separate case numbers. They are internally referring to each other as co-defendants, and they've been assigned to the same judge. So these hearings can take place at the same time. So we will see a, a bond hearing or a detention hearing set sometime, I think, before September 21st. But again, that will probably be a live testimony hearing. And that testimony, by all accounts, is going to be very difficult. So what happens next with this case? Well, the children are hopefully getting all of the services and not just medical care, but also psychological care that they will absolutely need after being through uh, traumatic events like this. There are teams of specialists in different jurisdictions that can work with children and children victims, and hopefully that is being done to take care of them and protect them. They are going to likely be kept, absolutely going to be kept no contact with uh, their mother or Jody Hildebrand. I don't know if they will allow them contact with the father at this point. That will be determined by uh, DCFS and law enforcement who are going to keep them separate. Hopefully there will be a guardian ad litem appointed at some point um, to also help look out for the needs and interests of these children and whether or not there are other legal needs that might need to be uh, determined, especially if the father uh, fights for custody of them and DCFS doesn't necessarily want him to have custody of them. I don't know if that is the case yet or not, but that will be going on to the side of this criminal prosecution. As for the criminal prosecution, these are informations. They have not had preliminary hearings. They have not been indicted. This was a case where, because of the contemporaneous uh, events of the 12-year-old victim escaping, running to a neighbor and police being called, this was charged very quick in time to those events happening. More charges can be brought before or even after this goes to preliminary hearing, after the other children are interviewed. We will see if that happens or not. And then this will start the very long process towards trial or resolution. Could it go to a plea? Yes. You have two defendants in this case, one who is the mother, one who is the mother's business partner, and you can expect from co-defendants that they will start pointing the finger at one another. And will we see somebody trying to point the finger at one another and taking a deal for themselves? Possibly. It happens in a lot of co-defendant cases. Will we see them blaming the other? Possibly. But what we saw Jody Hildebrandt tell police immediately when these children were taken to the hospital to be treated was they shouldn't be allowed around other children. So will we see them trying to blame the children in all of this? I don't know. But I think we will probably see them also trying to blame one another. So again, this is a case I will be keeping a touch point back in as it goes through the process, but I will not be following it as closely as some of my other cases. Let me know if this coverage helped you parse what was going on in this case, the differences in the charges and the types of charges, why there are three charges per each victim. Hopefully this helped you understand kind of the process of this case. And we will see what happens from here. Again, I think I will touch in on this on the podcast. Let me know if that works for you. Um, it's a really, really difficult case. And with all of that, Lonards, thank you for being here. 
Thank you for being Lawnards. Thank you for being able to cover difficult topics. And we will, again, we're going to take a, a much more distanced approach to coverage of this case than some of the other cases I'm covering here. Don't worry. It's not going to surprise you in a live stream. I will always let you know when this is the case I'm going to be covering because it really is just, it really is just infuriating, disgusting, and sad. And I don't know. I, I hope it resolves quickly for the sake of all of the children in this family and that that it just gets it just gets resolved quickly and that these children never have to go to trial on this case. That is my hope in this one. All right, all of you. Thank you so much for being here. I will talk to you soon. I'm going to leave a ton of resources down for you below. Lonards, you are the best. So with that, may your Wi-Fi be strong. May your family be well. Hug your family, your pawnards, your your people, your kiddos. May your toilet paper be plentiful. And may the odds be ever in your favor. I will see you in the next one. Bye. You can find more Lawnard goodness in our private Lawnard community over at lawnardsunite.com. And if you want to stay up to date with everything I'm covering, you can follow me on social media at the Emily D. Baker. I stream on YouTube on Tuesdays and Thursdays, and I recap those streams for those of you a little pressed for time over on the Quick Bits podcast and Quick Bits YouTube channel. Thanks for being a Lawnard. <laughs>